It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's six, 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 oh, seven. My tang got a little tangled up right there. It's 6.07 News Talk WSB, 67 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden, my friends. I am Walter Rees, and I am here to help you be more successful in whatever you want to do in your garden or landscape. If you have a question about your flowers, trees, lawns, shrubs, houseplants, bugs, critters, anything that you have a question about, as it involves the natural world and how you can be more successful in operating within it, then you can give us a call at 404-872-0750. Ashley Frasca is here this morning screening calls. Jason Byers is here choosing our music, and we will try to make your next three hours as comfortable and as informative and as entertaining as we possibly can. Again, the number 404-872-0750. And like last Saturday, I mentioned that one of the joys of my life is to get pictures of things that have happened to people in the previous week, and they sent them to me through my website. And last week, it was the little red bugs, lots of little red bugs that look like ants all over the leaves of plants. And they turned out to be the, the nymphs, the young of the leaf-footed bug, or perhaps the wheel bug, depending on a little bit of markings on them, depending on whether they have a dark front section or a red front section. They're either a wheel bug which is a uh, predator, a good insect, an assassin bug, something that kills the bad insects in your garden, or a leaf-footed bug. And leaf-footed bugs are like stink bugs. They go in and make holes in your tomatoes and squash and okra. You don't really want a leaf-footed bug in your garden. Well, this week, the questions or the pictures have come in, three, four, five of them this week, all dealing with one general subject, and that is somebody mistakenly sprayed herbicide on the garden. Yeah. One lady yesterday answered me after I told her this is what had happened. She said, I will tell him to never use Weed Be Gone near my garden again. Because her hubby had evidently uh, really given a little spray to the tomatoes and the squash that was not appreciated. But this is very, very, very common to just mistake or forget, maybe, that you used that sprayer a day ago, a year ago even, to spray one of the common lawn herbicides. Roundup is very common, of course, and uh, the 2,4-D broadleaf weed killers, the weed begones and things like that can be in a, a sprayer a couple of months earlier and not get really well washed out. And when they don't get well washed out of the sprayer, those chemicals then will be able to spray, will be able to affect the growth of the next tomato or squash or bean or whatever they get sprayed onto, thinking that you're spraying for insects or you're spraying for fungus or something like that. So the picture that she presented me, in her case, in fact, was a tomato leaf, a tomato plant, the top of the plant. And she said, now this is weird. This is weird. The, the tomato leaves are yellow, or whitish yellow, actually, at the base. And it's a very sort of common characteristic stripe in the middle of the vein from the base of the leaf out about halfway. White, whitish, a little bit yellow to it. What could this be? She presented it to me originally. And I had seen this several times before, <laughs> and so it was pretty quick to send a note back saying, did anybody perhaps spray with Roundup? And that's when she said that her, her hubby was in the doghouse for spraying her tomatoes with the, with, the, uh, with the weed killer. 
But that's what it looks like when you spray Roundup on a tomato. And tomatoes, oh my gosh, they are the most sensitive plant in the whole wide world to any kind of herbicide that's sprayed near them. In fact, one of my specialist guys over in Athens said one time, he said it can be as far away as a quarter of a mile. Yeah, catch this, a quarter of a mile on a windy day that Roundup can travel. And he had been called into a greenhouse a greenhouse operator who was growing tomato seedlings, and that's what he was doing, he was growing thousands of tomato seedlings to sell <clears throat> on the market to, uh, to folks who wanted to grow tomatoes in North Georgia. So he had a big greenhouse full of tomatoes, and a road-clearing crew was a quarter of a mile away spraying Roundup along the edge of the highway to kill the vegetation and brush there. And there was enough drift and mist and whatever fumes coming across a quarter mile to his greenhouse sucked in by the ventilation fan went all over the tomatoes and they were not so happy. Those tomatoes, he said, were not the happiest thing in the world. But even from a quarter of a mile, there was still some effect of the Roundup on them. Um, for 2,4-D, the common weed, broadleaf weed killer, weed be gone and bare and all those, the characteristic symptom is the leaves strap. They turn very thick and they twist and they curl. It's a really characteristic look, strappy, twisty, curly on all the topmost uh, top leaves on the vine. So the question becomes for a lot of people, well, would you eat the tomato on that plant? And I have, you know, I would never ever say safe. I'm not going to say safe, but I may say I'm comfortable doing something. And if I were having a tomato plant that had the Roundup damage to the leaves and it come from somewhere far enough away that I knew it wasn't going to really douse the plant and kill it, and after the plant has stopped having those leaves with the yellow-white stripe in the base, I'd feel comfortable eating those tomatoes. And the same thing with the uh, 2,4-D-affected tomato plants. If they finished strapping and turning around and the leaves started growing normally and having flowers and fruit normally, yeah, I'd probably go ahead and eat those tomatoes too. Call me, a, call me an idiot if you will, but I think that I would feel comfortable enough not to risk that with myself. Anyway, if you have questions about anything about herbicide damage or anything you suspect your spouse has done to your garden, 404-872-0750. Down in Griffin, Georgia, there's a woman, a friend of mine, who rarely, if ever, makes a mistake in the garden. Her name is Nicole. Hey, Nicole. Good morning. Nicole? Somehow the volume's not up here. There we go. Hey, Nicole. Good morning. Ms. Ms. Nicole, good morning. How are you? <laughs> um, I'm fine. I'm fine. You? I'm pretty good. I've never had to blame anybody for doing stupid things in my garden because most I can accomplish that by myself. You know, <laughs> if I spray things that I'm not supposed to spray on my plants and they end up getting these various things that happen to them, I think, man, that wasn't anybody else. That was me that forgot to wash out the sprayer and do things like that. Same here. Live and learn. Live and learn and learn it on your own. Do it yourself and then you have only yourself to blame. It's true. No, nothing like a good tomato, isn't it? It sure is. It sure is. And I haven't gotten quite the first, what I would consider vine-ripe tomato yet. There are a couple of places near my house, little stands, little shacks, I guess you'd call it, and they sell tomatoes, and the neighborhood all, you know, has a neighborhood newsletter, and we say, oh, finally we have the ripe tomatoes down at David's, and so when we get the note that the ripe tomatoes have arrived at David's, then that's when we get my first tomato. Same here with the uh, uh, cucumber. Oh, I love cucumber. Yeah, yeah. 
Nice and straight, nice and sharp, mm, crisp, good cucumber. Sure, you bet. Uh, first, first blueberry this week. Saw them on my shrubs, and they were big and green, but looking like they might be wanting to turn purple. Might be wanting to turn a little blue on my blueberries, but I haven't had the first one yet. Yeah, you have to have a different, uh, different kind. So we are a leg, <laughs> elongate. Uh-huh. The uh, season, isn't yeah. it? Yes, that's exactly right. Because you start um, some of the some of the high bush blueberries start blooming and fruiting sometime right now in May, in early June, and then come the rabbit eye blueberries. And the rabbit eyes have four or five sort of varietal seasons for them. So the rabbit eye blueberries go all into July sometimes for the harvest on some varieties for them. Is it already time for peaches? If we're going to get it's some. close, it's close. I saw some the other day. It said South Carolina peaches, ripe South Carolina peaches. It said on the box, which I don't know if you can trust that in the grocery store. You may put the California peaches in the South Carolina box. I don't know, but I certainly saw some peaches that looked pretty good the other day. Uh, usually, uh, the gardener farm in Lurkers Grove to have their first peaches around Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, yeah. and all summer will. If we, uh, I don't know about this year, you know. So will you go over and pick some? Uh, usually I, I go all summer, but I didn't call yet to see if they have some ripe. I don't right. know if the frost uh, freeze last freeze. Sure, sure, thing. sure. I know that when I was a kid, we used to go down to the peach orchards of Locust Grove and over in uh, Merriweather County near, uh, near um, Gay, Georgia, and Alberton. We'd have the peach orchard over there as well, and we'd go pick them, pick a bushel of them probably, and come home and and uh, process them. We'd blanch them for a minute to take the skin off and then peel them and then uh, you know put them through the processor so we could either have peach puree or peach slices or peach things like that that we'd put up in, in uh, quart jars and can them, and we'd have them all winter. I had some, Mr. Reeve, I had some... Uh Sunflower, you should see this guy. It is so neat to see him. The stock is about like a fifty cents, and wow. one leaf is like a dinner plate. Wow! Oh, I swear I'll never see a sunflower just going like this. On top, the first one is bigger than half a dinner plate, but they're probably like ten or twenty all the way down, and wow. they open up. I swear I'll never see a sunflower. The most important seed, I think, of sunflower because they have to be fresh for the birds, isn't it? That's true. Birds love sunflower seed. That's one of the best seed to feed birds at all is a black oil sunflower seed. And they are fresh. And one time I went to Alabama and I saw a full field of sunflower. They grow it, I guess, for the seed. It's a big market, isn't it? Sure. Oh, out west. My gosh, you've driven probably well, when you're doing your, your routes on your truck. You've probably seen the big, huge fields over in North Dakota, South Dakota, and, and Colorado where they grow sunflower there. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah, and the trial from California for the, the seed for different flowers, you mm-hmm. know. Do you let your stuff go in seed, Mr. Reeves? A lot of, well, if it's sunflower, honestly, yes, I do, because I'm mostly growing sunflower first to say, look at my big sunflower, and second to say, and look at all the birds on my sunflower eating my seeds. So I usually let the sunflower go to seed. Our seeds are more potent because I do radishes and I do... uh, Really easy, you know. They're just yeah. big, and you just cut them, put them inside the house. And you know, our seed, our own seeds, gonna go faster than the one that's been 
sitting in the store for five yeah, years. Maybe, maybe so, maybe so. Oh, I wish I could hear more about the sunflower, but I got to go at 619. You know that. I mean, I got to go somewhere, but it's been great to talk to you, Nicole. The same here. Your voice changed, Mr. Reed. A little bit. A little bit still, a little bit of allergies this week, but it's going better, I think, down back in the back of my throat. Somehow back there. Anyway, I will see you next Saturday. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day as well. It's 619, and we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Basically today, the high of 86, low overnight 69. Sunny, enjoy it while you can because there is a 50% chance of rain tomorrow. Hopefully you'll skip around your home. And tomorrow night, the high will be around the mid-80s or tomorrow the mid-80s. And then more rain, chance of rain anyway. Overnight lows in the mid-60s. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. David and Tucker comes up right this minute. Hey, David, good morning. Good morning. I got a foolproof way of avoiding that herbicide problem. Well, tell it to me. You don't use them. And I was figuring you were going to say that, David. <laughs> yeah, you're right. If you don't ever use weed killers and insect killers or anything else, at least weed killers, you don't run into the problem at all. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a uh, question, I ran across a curious plant I don't know anything about and haven't been able to find out too much. The Texas lilac, it, it sounds like almost counterintuitive. Yeah. It sounds like Texas wouldn't be a great place for lilac. Not at all. So what is a Texas lilac, and how did you run across it, David? Uh, I actually stumbled across it in a, the greenhouse of a big box store. Texas lilac. Now I need to go look that up and see what it is, because sure enough, as, as soon as David and Tucker calls me and says, what is a Texas lilac, there'll be somebody, you know, Simone in, in Snellville who'll call up and say, I have a Texas lilac in my garden, and I need to know what to do with it. So you give me sort of a heads up, David, to find out what a Texas lilac is. So in the next break, I will look it up and find it out. And so stick around after the after the news here. I'll find out what a Texas lilac is. I'm like you. I'm pretty sure it's not a lilac. Well, it's not a lilac. Then what is it? Why is it called Texas lilac? We'll find out. Okay. Our minds want to know. All right. Hang on, David. We will be there, and I'll talk to you. Well, I won't talk to you exactly, but if you'll listen to the show after the first uh, couple minutes of the next break, we will know what Texas Lilac is for you. Thanks, sir. Tucker deserves it. You know they do. It's 628 at News Talk (laughs) WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. Ah, Texas Lilac, Texas Lilac, Texas Lilac. Our last call in the last half hour. From David and Tucker was what is a Texas lilac, and it's another example of plant um, 
branders, let's put it that way, plant branders are trying to make a name that appeals to more people than the common name does. The common name of Texas lilac is the Vitex, V-I-T-E-X, or chaste tree. Some people call it C-H-A-S-T-E, chaste tree. And so the Texas lilac just sounds appealing to me, it sounds appealing to you, and the flowers are sort of lilac-like. They're frankly more like a butterfly, but if you ask me. And they're a very light lilac color during the summertime. And Vitex, by the way, is one of my favorite shrubs. It is a fabulous shrub. And the breeders, I think, now are trying to get it into more sizes and better colors is a real aim in the in the breeding program. So they want sizes from the three and four feet high mature heights to up to 10 and 15 feet height. And usually 10 and 15 is about where we've had it for the past 20 or 30 years. That's all you could get. If you bought a Vitex, it was going to be 10 or 15 feet high. But now they have some that are much smaller than that and have deeper lilac, deeper purple, deeper um, no color at all with white. And so you have a bunch of different choices. And the branders thought, we better name it something that will make everybody want to come buy it. It is the Texas Lilac. And it's also the Vitex that we've known for many, many years. Texas Lilac is the Vitex or Chase Tree. Joe in College Park joins us this morning. Hey, Joe. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. Thanks for taking my call. How can I help, Joe? My concern is about my tomato plants. Uh, last year, I had some beautiful tomatoes last year. My problem was is that the uh, vines uh, overgrew the cages, and they uh, broke, you know, a bit, uh, broke at the uh, stems, you know, yeah, over the top sure. of the cages. Real How can I, what can I do about that, Walter? To keep them from, you know, I could, somebody told me I should cut them at the top, and that way they will spread more, the tomato will spread more in the middle. Not usually. What happens usually when you cut them at the top is it sort of hesitates for about two weeks, and then you have two sprouts on either side of that cut. And they start growing for the sky right around oh the same top of the plant. It doesn't affect a whole lot of uh, growth at the middle of the lower part of the tomato plant. Oh. So the best I can... I'll describe, a, I'll describe a system, I guess, all right, Joe, that a guy sent me that he thought was just fabulous. And it was, he had his tomatoes on a windlass, for lack, lack of a better word, on a pulley system. He planted the tomato <laughs> really? underneath a the pulley was easily eight foot tall, Joe, easily. It had a string that went down from the pulley down to the tomato stem when it was young and a foot tall. So he let the tomato grow, and it grew and grew and it grew up until it got to the top of the pulley. And then he would unwind the string off of that pulley. It had a little crank on the end. He'd unwind the string, and the tomato would lay down along the ground. He said, this is great, because I didn't get any tomatoes on the lower part of the plant anyway. Now I have the <laughs> middle part of the plant closer down to the ground. And so he harvested wow. tomatoes there. It kept on growing up the string. He lowered it down to the ground again. And so pretty soon he had a tomato that was, I guess it was six feet long along the ground and about six feet high going up the string to his pulley. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. I, pretty impressive. I've got about 60 plants. That's going to be a little impressive. <laughs> 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 yeah, Joe. Um, hmm. You either uh, make a trellis that, that leans to the side so that the, so the plants can grow outwards and okay. not upwards. You figure yeah. something out interesting, Joe. You're a creative kind of guy. You could do things like this. Uh, figure oh, yeah. 
a mechanical way to solve the problem and then share it with me and I'll share it with everybody else. Okay, I'll work it out and let you know. Yeah, the pulley system. (laughs) (laughs) Joe's system, whatever you want to do it. Call it for yourself. (laughs) Joe's system of tomato growing. All right, then. Thank you, Walter. Talk to you then, Joe. Thanks for calling. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Joe's place with his question about his tomatoes. Maybe you have a question about your tomatoes. You can put us in there as well. Uh, Denise is here from Woodstock. Denise, hey, good morning. Hey, good hey. morning. Hey, Denise, how are you? I am doing great. How can I help? Um, I have adopted four huge. <laughs> I, I didn't even know they made them this big. Yeah, what? I, they're um, galvanized steel tubs. Um, I've seen them for five years, uh, sitting across the street from a building that I frequent, and uh, I was like, wow, these things must be huge. So I went, got them. They said, sure, you can have them. Wow. So we managed to get them on a trailer. My husband did, thankfully. And uh, they are now in my yard. And um, we have about an acre, so we have plenty of land. Yeah. But one, two are 231-gallon, and two are about 377-gallon. I looked on the website. and uh, Are these livestock watering uh, tanks? What are these Yeah, for? they're livestock. The way they're pictured on this website, they're made out in Nebraska. Um, they're pictured like in the middle of a humongous field with cattle and oh, yeah. okay. horses. And, you know, so, I mean, they are big. Probably eight people could take a bath in just one of them. Ooh, ooh <laughs> sounds like fun, fun, fun. I know, we could have a little party over here, yeah. I know, really. But I'm going to use it for gardening, so. Okay. <laughs> My question is, um, I started thinking, wow, this could cost thousands of dollars <laughs> to get just everything in it. I know a lot of people recommend things like vermiculite, I think, yeah. or cow manure, and I thought, this could be expensive. Yeah, sure. What is the most cost-efficient way I could get these tests Filled and planted. Well, one thing: how tall are the sides of the livestock tanks, Denise? Um, I would say three feet, maybe. All right. Three, yeah, about three feet tall. That is of interest because just about anything that you plant in that tub is going to go down about a foot, and anything below that point is. Pretty much to a plant, wasted space. The plant doesn't really want to go down deeper than that because it can't breathe very readily in the in the soil. Right. So as long as you have a top foot with pretty good soil underneath that, well, you know, we would, most of it, most anything, I guess, it's cheap. So, well, for some people that have large pots, of course, they just fill up gallon milk jugs and uh, and throw them in there until they get to the right level right. for their own pot, and they put potting soil on top. You could do that Should if you want to. Should we drill holes? I'm sorry. Yeah, you got to. You got to drill holes in the bottom. I don't want to have you call me after a big monsoon for a week and say, man, my sock tank, the water's floated all the way to the top. <laughs> all my plants right. are they're floating, too. Uh, so, yeah, yeah somebody's got to have drainage in the bottom. Yeah. Okay. How about putting them up on blocks or four by four of the tubs, or is that necessary? Or I think you should. Um the support has also got to be not only around the edges, but in the center, too, because if the center is not supported, then it's going to want to droop down and it'll, it'll sort of disfigure, I think, the shape of the of the stock tank. So the two-bys or the or bricks or the whatever you do has got to be in the middle of the tank as well as underneath the edges of the metal, too. So keep that in mind. Okay. Um, but still, holes, uh, five or six or seven holes, three-quarters of an inch would be fine with me, but some around the edge, some in the middle, so that the water can drain if it ever gets full of water. From right. Um, yeah, they have some drainage on the sides, obviously, where, you know, they 
would drain them, you okay. know, from the water and stuff. So I don't, I don't even know if those, those work. They appear to have some kind of cylinder on the outside of them, so we'd have to probably pop that off. But okay. so, in your opinion, um, just any kind of soil, basically, just uh, I mean, cow manure, uh, mushroom compost, well, thinking... regular potting soil. Does it really matter? Could we go to? I mean, I'm thinking getting getting it delivered in a truck. It would be somewhat cheaper yes, than getting a hundred bags I'm thinking the same more. direction you are. It would be a lot cheaper. There's two options, I think, there. One would be you can go to a, for lack of a better word, I call them landscape yards. And they're places where you have bulk mulch, bulk, bulk stone, bulk gravel, bulk this, that, and the other that they can scoop up with a scooper and they load it into a pickup truck or load it into their own you know, dumpster and they'll take it out, dumper, I mean, they'll take it out to your property and dump it on your lawn where you need a long, large area to be covered in topsoil or something like that. So you can buy these commercial landscape um, soils and use that. You could. Right. They mix things in. They put the worm castings and the chicken manure and all the other good things, and then mix it up for you while you watch if you want to. And I generally advise people to go and see. Watch them mix it up real good. Make sure you got the soil the way you want it, and, and they'll load it into their truck or your truck and bring it out to the house. So, oh, so they could mix it up for me. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. do custom mixes, whatever whatever that nice lady with the money in her hand wants to do. <laughs> they will do whatever you oh, want to yeah. do. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm having a feeling this may be a fall garden because <laughs> we already have our summer garden ready. Yeah. That's done. 85 plants in. My back is killing me. But either way, <laughs> this I, is going to be a nice thing because I like the fact that, you know, they are above ground and, you know, yeah, just a sure. little more accessible. But I think it's definitely going to be the fall garden. I don't think we're going to hit summer at this point with this one. One more place to look for soil, and this is bagged soil delivered in bulk, and that is from the folks called Superside. I see them at all the um, home shows and garden show kind of things that I do during the spring and fall. And it's mm-hmm. a company down in Noonan. They do their own composting. They mix up their own material, which is used a lot by the landscapers around Atlanta. They trust it enough to have it delivered. It's delivered as big, one-cubic-foot yellow bag. And so they just put it on the back of a truck, and they have a forklift. And say, where you want it, lady? And you say, over there. And they oh, drop it I down for right, you. Right in that 377-gallon exactly. tub right, right there. Exactly Thank you. Right exactly there. <laughs> So the Superside, Thank you. <laughs> uh, Superside Soil Cube uh, product might be of use to, con- to consider it's as called well. Superside, Superside, S-O-D? yep, Superside. Superside Yellow Bags. Okay, that yeah. I'm writing all this down. Yeah, that's great. Now, how about uh, pebbles in the bottom? Of the um, after we you know drill the holes, yeah, it's going to make it so heavy. I wish there was something lighter you'd consider. And again, going back to those plastic milk jugs, go to the recycling center and just take off rather than bring two. <laughs> you know, take some milk jugs away from the recycling center and put caps on them and throw them in the bottom there. You need a little bit of water to hold them down so they don't float when it does get wet. But um, I think right. the milk jugs makes more sense than anything because you're, I think, really trying to. Um, keep from being so heavy, and pebbles and things like that are going to be really heavy. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Especially since they're going to be kind of up a little bit on a, you know, a little bit of a platform kind yeah. of thing there. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, um, thank you so much. You give me a little bit more of a vision here now. When I saw all four of them sitting in my yard this morning, I was a little overwhelmed. I would love uh, to see pictures, Denise. I would love to see what you finally get done with them. I will send them to you. Do you Please send do. them to your email. Is yeah. That, yeah, yeah. Um, Go to my website, hit the button that says Contact Walter, and it opens up the email to send me stuff. 
I will. I'll send you the pictures of them now, actually. All right. All righty. Well, thank you so much. Great talking to you, Denise. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Denise's place right there. 404-872-0750. Don't forget you can also tweet me on the Twitter account, Ask Walter. I'm just with a hashtag. Hashtag is a pound sign. Pound sign. Ask Walter. Hashtag Ask Walter. And Ashley will read the question out. We'll read that out and answer hopefully during the rest of the show. We'll be back right after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. High today around mid 80s, 86 degrees, low tonight, 69, sunny. Enjoy today while you can. There might be a bigger chance of rain tomorrow. 50% chance of rain showers, highs in the mid 80s, and again, lows overnight in the high 60s. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And don't forget that tomorrow you can pick up your Sunday Atlanta Journal-Constitution to see what's going on in the news and hundreds of dollars in coupon savings. we got Eric on the line from Demarest. Hey, Eric. Good morning. How you doing, Walter? Doing fine. How can I help? I've got some uh, some apple trees and some pear trees, and I, I planted them last year. And uh, I was going back out to check on one. I staked it up; it started falling over. Well, this morning, I looked at it. It's got these big old like uh, fungus mushroom something uh-huh. petals growing right at the base of the tree. Sure. And it's it's only one out of about twelve trees, and it's the only one that has little bitty apples on it too. <laughs> Doggone it. <laughs> just wondering what I needed to do, if there was something I could do, or if it was, I didn't, I didn't know, out of one out of 12 trees had me confused. Uh, it's not looking good, shall we say. Let's put it that way for you. Okay. Because when those mushrooms grow at the base of the tree, a mushroom is just the flowering part of something else that's decomposing the interior of the trunk of the tree. So who knows how it got started. Somebody hit it with a lawnmower or a weed whacker or it was a little limb that popped off and water got in there and started hollowing it out at the base of the trunk. Some way, somehow, um, uh, fungus started decomposing the bottom of the tree and then the fungus got happy. It was warm here in May and they said, oh boy, I want a flower now and put some big white mushroom. And then you wander along and say, man, what is that? It's the mushroom that says there's something deteriorating the base of the tree. Yeah, and that's exactly because I mean it's just as flimsy as it can be. So I mean, like I said, you, you, I, that's what I done last week was try to try to stake it up, and I yeah. just have got back home, and uh, I was going I was going to check on it, and sure enough, it's got this big old thing, and it's just I mean you can just if you if, if you take the strings off, it almost falls to the ground. Yeah. I believe, my friend Eric, that that is going to be a gone, uh, what do they call a gone tree? A tree that falls away, you dig it up, you throw it away, and plant a new nice tree in there and protect the bottom and get some apples off of that one. Well, that uh, that, that saves me a lot of a uh, headache of wasting time on that one, so I appreciate it. <laughs> I've saved you a lot of headache. That's exactly yeah. right. Thanks, Thanks a bunch, Walter. Thanks for calling, Eric. We'll see you soon, man. See you. It's 6.57, and we will see you right after news. If I knew the way I would take